is Duncan MacLeod, the Highlander. Born in 1592 in the Highlands of Scotland, and he is still alive. He is immortal. For 400 years, he's been a warrior. A lover. Hi, this is Adrian Paul, and you're listening to Highlander Rewatch. Hello, and welcome to Highlander Rewatch, the podcast where each and every week we examine a different facet of the Highlander franchise in detail. I'm one of your rewatchers. I'm Keith. This is Kyle. This is Eamon. And um, I bet a lot of you might be new listeners this week, uh, and you might have uh, found our show because we have a very special guest, as uh, is evidenced probably in the title of our episode. So, for all our new listeners out there, a little background on the show. This show was born out of our love of all things Highlander. We all grew up watching the show, the movies, uh, and we love the franchise. And recently we took it upon ourselves to revisit it and kind of chronicle our journey with the series and the movies and all the expanded universe that Highlander provides. Um, so this podcast chronicles that journey, and each and every week we take a look at a different facet of the Highlander franchise. So if you go back on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get podcasts, uh, you can see all our episodes for free on season one we've actually done a seven episode retrospective on the movie and uh, i think it surprised us uh, the most of how much we had to say about the original highlander film uh, which is of course near and dear to our hearts so if you haven't checked this out already make sure to go back and listen to all our past episodes we also have some really great interviews with the uh, executive producer showrunner and head writer david abramowitz which many would call uh, the uh, kind of heart and soul of the highlander series and we also uh, had a great conversation with amanda wiss uh, who played randy mcfarlane in the very first season of the highlander series and we've got a special treat here today because we are having a conversation with Adrian Paul, the Highlander himself. Absolutely. Welcome to the show, Adrian. Good morning. Good afternoon, wherever you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's an evening here in uh, Philadelphia, and I guess it's a, a afternoon where you are, Adrian. Is that right? Yeah, you're in Philly, huh? Yep. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> City of brotherly love. That's right. Have yeah. you ever been to Philly, Adrian? Yeah, the, the, the land of um, uh, meat and potatoes and, 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 and cheese. That's right. right. Yeah. <laughs> In that order, or maybe in reverse order? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's possibly in that order, but I, I think meat and cheese have a very close uh, combat there, actually. Right. That's right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Philly loves its cured meats and its stinky cheeses. <laughs> anyway, we like to kick off any interview with anyone we talk to by asking, would you want to be immortal? Ah, uh, gosh. <laughs> uh, it's a tough question, really. I mean, there's, there's some great facets of it. I think that's why Highlander gets watched. Well, the idea of it was watched so often because, you know, everybody's trying to stay young, whether it's beauty products or, you know, fitness or anything else. They want to keep that youth. And yet, you know, it does cause other problems. Like you see people die that you've loved and you've got no choice, but you're eventually going to outgrow them and die. So there's a bit of a uh, bit of both in a sense. I'm not sure whether I'm, I'm, I'm up for either at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> 
So unsure, even uh, even if you could pick when and and where you could live. Not sure if you'd be immortal. Even if you pick where and when you could live. Yeah, if you could pick any time period and you know any age to be frozen in. Yeah, I think I think the issues are exactly the same. It doesn't matter whether it's seventeen hundreds, eighteen hundreds, nineteen hundreds. Especially since our idea of what those eras are, they're really romanticized. They're not really what they were like. So, you know, to be totally honest, I think we're in a very good space in this day and age compared to what you actually had in other days, you know, other eras, because, you know, you had diseases and everything else. Yeah, I always think about that, like, oh, it'd be great to live in ancient Rome, but penicillin and the Internet. <laughs> yeah, well, something is, well, screw the Internet, forget that. I mean, that's, <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not even about that. It's, it's about just simple, you know, catch a cold and die. Right, right. The simple thing we, we we don't necessarily um even think of today, you know. So I think you know, I think uh, uh, it's not things we really realize or we think of. That's a great point you bring up, though. That the like the human condition though is always the same, and I think that is something that keeps people coming back to Highlander year after year. Is that the stories you tell, whether in modern day or in the 1600s, 1800s, all are relatable in some way to what the human experience is, which I think it makes the show really important yeah of course it does i mean that's you know that's part of the issue the issue that mcleod went through all the time was you know it is the same loves and hatreds and bigotries and opinions etc really haven't changed from decade to decade or era to era you're just dealing with a different set of rules and regulations so adrian to tell you a little bit about our show uh currently we are actually pretty much midway through the second season of the series just to kind of give you an, an idea of the headspace we're in or the the place in the show one thing we talk a lot about on our show is kind of the evolution of the Highlander series itself and your character. Can you give us maybe an insight into what the character was like when you first started on the series and then how it gradually changed through the second season, third season, and maybe what your influence was over the character? That's a lot of talking I've got to do. Uh (laughs) Well, we can break it up into sections if you want. (laughs) You know, when I first started, um, I got Highlander, it was a week before I started shooting. So to have really decided who this man was was a very quick process. All I could go off of was what the films had given me and what the script was giving me and any quick decisions I made uh, of you know the information that I was given. You know, much like a, uh, a teacher of mine said, a good actor is a good detective. So you make as many informative decisions as you can. I, I think McLeod started off as a bit of a um, very very um, not opinionated but um, was very idealistic in, in who he thought he was and he became a detective for the first season, which I wasn't really keen on. I think, you know, it was always Chase the Bad Immortal of the Week, which I think is the is death of any show because people are not tuning in to see how you catch somebody or solve a crime. They're, t- they're tuning in to see what the relationships are between the people that are doing it. That's why soap operas do so well. So as luckily, as would have it, you know, we really tried hard to sort of put as much meat on the bones as we could as we went along. But then really, when David Abramowitz came in, the show really took a different turn and started to sort of delve into much deeper issues, which were the ones I thought were necessary to further a show that that had, was so rich in so many different things, whether it was history, romance, love, ideals, etc. There, there was so many things you could talk about and, and move it to and still keep it interesting, not boring. That, um, you know, David really sort of started writing those episodes that were character-driven much more, in a sense. So one thing that we've kind of discussed is kind of the, the balance in your character between being kind of stoic and serious versus being kind of playful 
or you know more sarcastic like some of what you'd see in the the movies what kind of drove those decisions and is that something that you had to work through either yourself or with the the writers in terms of finding Duncan McLeod's voice well you know the the funny thing was I remember reading in an article when the show first came out it basically said that you know we were full of stereotypes and um you know the same old same old type of stuff and and I I, I always believe believe that you know yes we have a serious subject matter but we need to lighten it up a lot and that again started with the writing but it really had to come from a place of well I think we should do this. And it really stemmed from the flashbacks. There we could really... I mean, McLeod in the present was a guy that lived for four, over 400 years. And then when he was younger, I say younger, he was only 100 years old. <laughs> uh, he, he, was, he was much more into, I want to live life, I want to have fun, I want to, you know, forget this immortal thing. I, I want to, you know, I've, I've been given this gift. I'm going to... I'm going to love a lot of women. I'm going to drink a lot. I'm going to fight a lot. I'm going to do this type of stuff. So in certain times, his um, his persona changed slightly. And with that, it allowed us to open up the McLeod world or the Highlander world and into sort of exploring different parts of that man's character and, and as well as the Highlander universe into making it perhaps a little lighter. I mean, especially when we had uh, characters on like Roger Daltrey or Amanda that were always trying to get, you know, McLeod in trouble one way or another. McLeod was a straight guy and they came in and played the what? I didn't do that. I didn't. So it was, it was a mixture of several things as, and it grew grew as the seasons went on. You had mentioned that you got the part one week before shooting started. Is there a, a story behind the, the casting of that? Or I was the first guy they ever saw to cast a role in Los Angeles, definitely, and it was probably everywhere. I spent three months doing one interview and a screen test and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And at the point came when I was like, um, this is, this is gone. My agent actually said to me two weeks after we'd done the screen test, they're supposed to start shooting on Monday and this was on the Thursday, I think it was, or the Wednesday. And they said, at this point, they've probably gone with the other guy. And I'm like, okay, fine. So he went off on vacation and uh, left his assistant in the room um, to ca- carry on. And as luck would happen, happen on the on the Friday afternoon, I got a call Friday morning. I got a call saying, yeah, you got the role. You're going up to Vancouver tomorrow. And uh, <laughs> and you start shooting Monday. And and as luck would ha- have it, the reason why I said it took a week was because Christophe Lambert was hadn't been signed on yet, and it was the last-minute thing that he actually decided to do the actual first episode of the series. So we got another week, Grace, to actually have him on there. And I was able to sort of do a little bit more character development and uh, sword play, etc. So it was a bit of a process to start with. So you mentioned working with... Christophe Lambert, was it daunting to essentially take over a role that had been established by a previous actor? Was there ever, like, backlash from fans, for that matter? Like, you know, you're not my Highlander, and, like, you're the new guy, essentially. You know, the interesting thing was I'd done that before in War of the Worlds when I I took over somebody, and I I did get that. I was not playing Connor McLeod. That was the biggest luck that I that I had because then everybody would look at me as being oh you're you're just the, the TV guy doing it you're another guy no Connor's better he's this is that whatever it would be you know I became I was Connor McLeod at 
before we actually started shooting until Chris came in and then it was you know Duncan McLeod we, we you know we came through a couple of other names that Ian was one of them and I don't know whether there was a couple of other ones but you know Duncan seemed to be more manly um, so <laughs> they basically just sort of made that name into so and I was lucky that that's because I was dreading the fact I'd seen the films I knew they were very I, I loved the, the first movie I was you know thinking oh god how how how's this going to go down and as luck would have it I didn't have to worry about that because I became a different character which I could then develop on my own to create somebody different. For the record, you are our Highlander. Yes, That's definitely. Right. <laughs> yeah, for all three of us, you're you're the guy we think of. So thank you. I did cut off Christopher Lambert's head. So That's yeah, true. <laughs> that helps. That really makes it final. Yeah, you are literally the Highlander. <laughs> I might have a question. Um, Lambert's Highlander and your Highlander, they are kind of different in some ways like i know you have a background in um kung fu and you're you're a very physical guy taekwondo i'm I'm wondering did those past endeavors of yours and your interest in physicality and martial arts kind of help inform who duncan mcleod became yeah absolutely any tv show would be dumb if they didn't go with the strengths of the actor they choose to to go with a role so you know, at first, if you look at the first season, and even the beginning of the second, actually more the second season than anything, when they figured out I could do a lot of the sword stuff and I could do a lot of the martial arts, more of that actually got infused show. And it's actually because of the budget restraints, etc. We would get some six-day shows, and I had a six-day show where I had thirteen action sequences to do. Oh my god! Wow. <laughs> I said, "Look, guys, this." This is getting ridiculous. This is becoming a, a second-rate B movie, not what this show is about. And luckily, they kind of hurt me, you know. And I think, I think that's to me, that's the mistake that Highland of the films made is that they they turned them into action sequences and, and explosions and everything else, and they didn't rely on the core of what it was really all about. I think that's why the series did so well because it, it eventually got onto that uh, line of thinking and people really related to it all over the world. It wasn't just, I mean, it went into over 90 countries around the world and it, it was successful in many, many countries because it was a type of show that touched different societies in different ways. And I think you just, I mean, yes, the action one is, is translatable, but there were a lot of, there's a lot of history, a lot of love, a lot of you know, a lot of relationship things that happen in every single society. It's interesting you mentioned, like, kind of the, the different facets of Highlander. Um, I know we've talked about this on, on, on our show that, for me, I started watching Highlander maybe when, when I was in, like, third or fourth grade. And for me, it was about the action sequences, a cool guy with a sword, trench coats. Like, it, it was really cool. Like, it was, it was such a fun adventure show for me. But as I grew up and I watched it again in high school and now I'm watching it again now in my, you know, early thirties, the things I like about the show have changed. Like now, now I'm all about like the, the, the cores of the characters, the philosophical arguments that are brought up in the show. Is there anything that has changed in your relationship to Highlander over the years? You know, um, starting the show off, I was, I was a fan of the show. So, you know, my idea of what the show was informed me and, and changed as I went through it. Again, I want to mention the the, the the people that were involved in it, the David Abramuses of the world, the Mike, David Tynans, um, the, the, I mean, all the writers and all the producers and and a lot of the people that worked on set. They were really pushed all the time, and it, and it just kept evolving because they were allowed to evolve in a creative sense of the word. And I think that's really what made the show successful and changed the show and changed the way I looked at it. And, yeah, it was different. It was it was very different to see a, a film that I admired as a, as a young man and then be the lead character in it. And, 
you know, sort of take over the mantle to a degree at the time. So it was it was quite something for me to sort of look at and, and get my head around. We have the opportunity to talk to, to David Abramowitz, and he spoke a lot about what it was like being on the other end of the camera for the early seasons and the writing process and how hectic it was early on. You know, as the, the star of the show and someone in front of the camera, what was the experience like trying to launch this show with some of the insane scheduling demands that it sounds like it put on you it sounds like it was a a crazy ride trying to trying to launch this show with all the different production companies involved in the tight shooting schedule yeah i mean th- listen we we had a saying we we either got um uh six hours sleep and didn't have a life or we have four hours sleep and had a life the schedule we had was i mean my schedule was was very hectic as was other people's i mean but from my degree, because I was the lead in the show, I was dealing with the edit, the, the choreography some, at some point, you know, working on, on next week's sword fight. I was working on the script. I was shooting, you know, so it was it was extremely, you know, I was six, seven days a week working on that show. And it was, uh, it, I don't know if I could do it now. I mean, it, it's, it was such a all-consuming type of event. <laughs> That's what it was. But I, I, I still am very, I mean, I do a lot of, uh, I spend a lot of time working now, but not quite as much as I used to. Obviously, the the action sequences are so detailed, and the sword fights really had some intricate movement, and you know tried to look really authentic. How difficult was it, and how much lead time did you have to prepare for some of these action scenes, especially when you had twelve to crank out in an episode? The best thing you can think of there is is really it's about your opponent because. You're only as good as the person you're facing, and you're only as bad as the first person you're facing because of injuries and other things that could happen if you have somebody that's not as experienced or somebody that is overzealous in different uh, aspects. So it was a challenge every week to see who it was that was going to come in and, you know, face you with the sword. And I don't think there was one actor that ever didn't want to do his sword fight or her sword fight. Not one. Wow. It, it was interesting. I mean, it was a challenge to see the different. I mean, I had different uh, sword masters during the run of the show. I had three, three different sword masters during the run, different styles, different ideas, different concepts, and then teaching the new guest stars who were also very new was again another another challenge. So it was a. I always loved sword work, and I took to it very quickly. And um, you know, I love physicality. I've always been very very physical. And uh, so I've got no no issue with picking it up and facing different people. So you mentioned training with you know various different guest stars and things like that. Who was your favorite guest star to work with on the Highlander? You have a, a lot to choose from. Wow, I, I I'm, I'm probably a couple of hundred people over the over the course of this. <laughs> um, you know, there were there were a lot of very interesting people. There's either guest stars or recurring uh, because you know obviously we had you know people like Elizabeth Grayson and Jim Burns and Stan Kirsch. Uh, you know, Peter Wingfield. There was uh, the 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 normal uh, suspects that were there all the time. Then we had people coming in like Roland Gift and uh, Roger Daltrey, and uh, I mean some people today. And I actually just released an audio book actually, so I talk about all the people that came in and, and what they were like. And I didn't really think about it until recently as to how many people that came in then went off to have very big careers afterwards i'm not sure about favorites i mean it's always fun to play with certain people you know and and for the character that they were playing and there's there are memorable characters so it's really hard to say did i have a favorite i think i had some that i loved working with constantly 
Italy, which was, you know, I had a great time working with the, the people that were there all the time and came in all the time, as I, those I just mentioned. You know, I was pleasantly surprised that the people, the other guests that came in was were equally as enjoyable to work with. So you, you just mentioned uh, your new audiobook. We've seen some buzz on the internet about it. Uh, can you tell our listeners about the new audiobook? Well, it's, uh, it's really about... Um, is about my uh, the first part of the first part of the audiobook is about my early rise to uh, becoming an actor, leaving England, uh, coming to America, the shows that I did, uh, you know, all the all the different um, things that happened to me, uh, you know, along the way, and then it goes into the Highlander portion of my of my career where I talk about all the different people I work with and the things that happen on set, you know, the story, just a bunch of stories that, that happen. So it's about an hour and a half, uh, just over an hour and a half, I think hour and 40 minutes. It's a two-disc set, and uh, we're just about to set up the store now in the next probably the next day and a half that we will be releasing it uh, online. That's fantastic. Yeah, so uh, the people listening to this podcast, uh, head on over to the Adrian Paul official Facebook page and click on the Shop Now button right at the top of the page, and that'll take you to the Adrian Paul official store where you can pick up a copy of his brand new audiobook, My Immortal Journey, today. Make sure to check it out. Um, I wanted to ask you about like your fan club. It, it must be, I don't know, for me at least, it, it might be a kind of a shock to kind of rise to stardom in the way I think you did. Uh, I mean, you also were, were on TV like before the age of the internet where, you know, there were Facebook pages and fan like fan pages for all sorts of things. Like people literally were, must've been writing you like hundreds of letters and you had your magazine. Like, w was it a, I don't know, was it an interesting or odd transition to, to kind of get that sort of stardom and have that like amazing fan base that supported you through these years? Yeah, yeah, really. I mean, the 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 interesting thing was I had um, I, I'd done other shows beforehand, and I was getting fan mail from from different areas. You know, I mean, I, I did get them, so uh, I wasn't I, I gotten it, but to to, to to see what I the, the amount of one that I actually did get at the end of it through Highlander was was quite amazing. You know, obviously, it did really um, uh, you know explode once Highlander took off. So. It was weird. I mean, I think the weirdest thing was going to different places like, um, you know, like the Vatican or places like that and get mobbed. Wow. So <laughs> it was that that was really the, the, the weird spot because, you know, you, you're not expecting to be walking down the street and you, you can't. You can't walk down the street because, you know, the, everybody's trying to get your autograph or trying to, you know, get your photo. And it was just that. But that was bizarre. It was really great to have. And then it became an annoyance, and then because you you can't do anything at all, because you you know you you just can't you can't walk down the street without being uh, people asking you for your autograph or a photo. So I I was, but then again then when it lessens it you kind of go oh you know that's kind of changed now. So I think you like it you don't like it. Uh, you know, people make such a big stink about it, but in reality, it's a blessing that you actually have fans that follow you, and uh, you know, will 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 spend so much time invested in what you're doing and how you're doing it. Were, were there any specific like fan interactions that stood out to you that were like particularly touching? Um, and like for me personally, let me I'll, I'll give a personal anecdote. When I was you know a, a young kid, uh, I actually had long hair. I had a ponytail, and then I found this show Highlander. Uh, and it was like, wait, the hero of this show has a ponytail? Like, it was something as a kid, I was actually sometimes teased for being a boy that had long hair. 
Um, but one reason I never cut it was because my hero on TV was Duncan McLeod of the Clan McLeod, and yeah. he had a ponytail. And that was like, you know, a very a, a, a small way uh, of many of the ways the show impacted me. But it was something that kind of, you know, gave me strength uh, when I was a kid. Uh, were there any, you know, really touching fan stories you heard or ways that you maybe impacted other people that you weren't aware of? You know what I always get? I get this constantly, actually, now, which I think is is really touching to me, is I get a lot of people turn around to me and say, you know, my father and I or my mother and I, we didn't see eye to eye, but when Highlander was on, we sat down and we could sit down and, and, and we could meet and have a discussion about things, and it brought us closer together. And I think that, to me, was probably the most touching thing. And I hear it, hear it a lot. I hear about, you know, sons that didn't necessarily spend a lot of time with their fathers, but then when the show was on, they would they would hang out and talk about the episodes and the things that were happening on it. To me, that's that's, you know something that the show was able to 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 bring and i thought that was to me was really something special yeah i mean for me i used to watch the show with my grandmother who's who's passed some time now but it's it's whenever i watch it i mean we do this podcast and it, it brings me fond memories like every week where i can think about when i watch this episode with my grandmother like oh that was nice that's that's a it's a it's a nice warm feeling to have every week so yeah i mean i think one of the funniest ones i ever had and this was a this was when I was in Spain when the when the show was on. I actually I went to Spain on a I can't remember what it was. I went to see some friends or something. And, and as I was in Spain, I visited this hairdressing salon or something. It was in this old building, and this old lady. I came out of this place, and she was just about to take the steps up, and she looked at me. Nearly had a heart attack. She was like, "Oh my, oh my, oh my!" And she said in Spanish how much she loved it and how. <laughs> To me, it was like, oh my gosh, you know. And my friend was like, oh, that's so. And we helped her up with her bags and stuff. And you know, but she was just so sweet. And I was like, oh my goodness, I, I just affected an 80, 80 year old woman. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was really something really, really fun that I that I uh, really enjoyed. We've talked a bit about the shows and the you know the shooting on that. How was that different when you then transitioned to doing the the Highlander movies that came after the the show's run? Like Endgame and the Source. How did that transition into that? Yeah, and what how, what was the experience on your end? How was it different from working on the show versus being part of the movies? Well, you know, movies are totally different crew. So it wasn't the people I worked with from day, from day in day out. The idea of it was, I mean, it was a slightly bigger concept, of course. And the the, the weird thing about Highlander Endgame was by that point I had much more experience than Christopher did in sword work. I kind of became his, um, what would I say, his his reflection in a sense, uh, because you know we wanted to sort of look at the two characters as not only being different characters, but also having different ways that they fought, ways that they they did things. So you know, my style was much more flowing, and, and Christoph's was much more of the semi samurai traditional way of of of, uh, of fighting. So. The funny thing was that Christoph was coming to me asking me if it looked good once we finished the take. And I was like, wait a minute, the Highlander just asked me, you know. <laughs> uh, so it was kind of a weird, that, that transition was strange. And, you know, it, it was a, a very odd thing, you know, when I was, when the whole thing happened and taking Chris, you know, Christopher's head or Connor's head. That was a, it was a, it's, you know, losing a friend, losing a brother. And I always take things very personally when i do a character that you know it's it, it you can not do that you have to so it does touch you somehow and especially when we went on to the source which was probably not one of my favorite movies but um you know losing jim burns i mean i was losing a brother you know i mean i worked with jim for a long long time so it was 
it was a hard thing to sort of see happen when you know he did die so you know you mentioned obviously losing connor losing jim burns were those were you happy with the way those storylines like progressed would would you if you had to do it differently would you have written those stories a little differently behind the end game i didn't mind i thought it was not a bad movie uh you know it was the the concept of it was pretty good i think some of the things in them could have been adjusted slightly. Um, I think the brothership relationship between Connor and Duncan was pretty pretty clear and was a lot of fun. We did establish a lot of that. In the, the source, unfortunately, I think the the issue was the the script and the the way the script was developed because it was wasn't really ready to shoot when we started shooting it. So I don't think we had a clear idea as to what the end game was in the source in other words what was the final result and what was the special effects situations put together like i said before i think not it wasn't dealing with the issues that highlander would normally deal with and dealt with a lot of extraneous issues that then came to the journey was wasn't bad getting there but then the end result wasn't clear so do you have any highlander stories that you wish you had the opportunity to tell that you didn't get the opportunity to yes a couple of people have asked me that before it's it's kind of a it's kind of a weird thing really in a sense because you know you got uh you got the Highlander stories of why I went from Japan to Korea and sorry, Cambodia to Paris, to Italy, to London, to the Northwest. I mean, I mean, I was everywhere. There's, I'm sure there were, there would be stories that I think would be interesting to take on, you know, the French revolution, the American civil war. I mean, we did some of those stories and I'm sure there are many more that we could, we could have tackled. But I think we, we did a lot of them. So, you know, until somebody says, how about this one? And I can say, oh, that's a great idea. <laughs> there are a, a lot of amazing stories Highlander gets to tell. And part of the reason we started this podcast was because we wanted to share our experience with those stories with other people. I know I've shared that this experience with my family, girlfriends, other friends. Um, are there any kind of shows movies like things from your youth you can't wait to share with let's say your kids those those sort of things that have impacted your life with my kids um yeah my kids and <laughs> my son's in the swords um, <laughs> i don't know where he got that from yeah really <laughs> uh you know i mean soccer to me was we call it football in england mm-hmm. um you know that, that was that was always something that i i wanted my i would love to my kids and he does he loves he loves that too so I I think the stories that um, I, I'm I'm already sort of giving them giving them ideas. I I don't think I would pressure any of my kids, either of my kids, to um, to sort of follow a path that was what was my path. Mm. In other words, I don't think it's fair to sort of say to your kids, "You should do this," or "Let's go and do your." I, I think you know every kid is different, and every kid you know, has to have a want and a desire to do a certain thing. If they don't like it, they're not going to do it. doesn't matter how much you press them into doing it and how much you want them to do it. They're not going to eventually be good at it because they're not really interested in it, even though they might show that they're interested. Kids are not as dumb as they, as, the, as people make out them to be. Or they should, should be seen and not heard. Kids should be listened to. I mean, Roger Moore said that to me, you know, when he was on my radio show. He said, you know, years ago that was the case, but today it's not. Kids, you know, have a mind of their own, even at a very young age. And so, you know, listening to what their desires are is is one of the things I think you should be very, uh, very clear about as a parent. Mortals will give you a mac attack. You ought to know by now. You ought to know by now.
we have a we have a little segment we like to do after each episode we call Mac Attack, which is where we talk about the lessons we learned from you in the the various different episodes. So I know you've got the sword experience coming up where you do a sword training seminar with people. What's the what's the lesson that people can learn from you by doing the sword experience? Respect. Respect your opponent and respect your weapon because your weapon is going to do one of two things. It's either going to save your life, even if it's wood, it will save your life, or it'll make you a lot of money if you become an actor. (laughs) (laughs) So respecting that portion of it is what I teach. But the other thing is respect your opponent. And the opponent comes to the fact of, you know, you you work with a lot of people in your daily life. You work with, you, you, you face other people in your daily life. So respecting that person and understanding who they are, whether they are experienced or not, this comes down to the sword experience as well. You really, you can take that into your everyday life because it allows you to work with different people and really sort of understand how deep, different people work differently and how you have to adjust given those factors. So I think that's really what I think the sword experience gives people, as well as it being a lot of fun. I mean, you know, we... We film things for people. We take their photos. We, we give them a set to be on, like they're on a movie set. So it's a fun day of, of doing stuff, as well as learning, you know, the difference between the real fighting and the movie fighting. You get taught some techniques. You get taught, you know, di- small different things. But it, it's, it's a fun day out but to, 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 for people to sort of uh, spend rather than sitting in front of the TV. So for some of our listeners that might not know, the Sword Experience is essentially a class, workshop, interactive experience with Adrian Paul where you get to learn a lot of these sword techniques. Can you tell us about some of the upcoming dates and exactly what people can expect from these events? Yeah, I've got, I've got one coming up in London on uh, June, I want to say 19th. Uh, it's uh, Cressing Temple, which is uh, like an old medieval barn where we're going to be doing you know some really fun um i'd say english style fighting and um then i've got one in stuttgart germany it's actually in ludwigsburg in germany where it's a music hall so it's a more turn of the century type of uh, venue so we'll be uh, addressing that fight for there and then i have pensacola coming up in uh, august which is uh, going to be at a mu- museum of commerce in Pensacola, which is all, you know, 1920s, 30s uh, artifacts, and we'll be doing it in that space. We're just about to launch Manchester, New Hampshire, which is just outside of Boston. And um, that one, uh, we might have something kind of fun with that one. We're not quite, we're about to launch that actually today or tomorrow. And then we have another one in Los Angeles, uh, maybe Denver, and uh, we, I'm also doing the Wizard World Cruise at the end of the year, which is going to the Bahamas. So I'm, I'm, I'm discussing with them whether we're actually going to be taking a sword experience on, on, board a, on board a ship. Oh, wow. That's amazing. And so each of these experiences are completely unique, right? They're, they're, none of these are the same, right? No, none of them are the same, and that's the fun part of it. Is you can go to one and learn one choreography and be in one uh, uh, place, and you go somewhere else, it's totally different. You meet a bunch of different people. You're in a di- different choreography. It's different temperatures, different weather, different you know, different background. You kind of learn something different all the time. Awesome. And how can people uh, find out more about this and buy tickets? Uh, SwordExperience.com. It's pretty simple. <laughs> <laughs> So, so you mentioned earlier your radio program. Can you tell our listeners a bit more about that if they want to f- follow you? Yeah, I, you know, I have a radio show that I've had for about three and a half years, and um, 
it's uh, it, it's it's called Peace Fund Radio, and you can find it anywhere if you call Peace Fund Radio and you look it up. We talk about a lot of things to do with kids. My charity, the Peace Fund, which stands for Protect, Educate, Aid Children Everywhere, has been going for about 18 years now. We've dealt with a lot of different issues, and we bring in different celebrities and different organizations that talk about what they're doing in different parts of the world and how we can address it and how we deal with educational problems and how we talk to uh, uh, the issue of autism or uh, homelessness or uh, medical aid for kids or kids in hospitals or whatever that is. And, you know, we have totally a, a bunch of different celebrities that come on and it's uh, it's a been a very um, successful uh, show so far because um, you know we're still going. So uh, you know it, it's it's uh, a show that really is informative to f- let people figure out what's going on in the world and some of the things that might matter to them. Especially uh, that we have, as I said, uh, we have kid heroes of the week as well who are young youngsters who have done something extraordinary with their lives, even though they might be eight, eight or nine or ten years old. So we sort of talk about them. We talk about how to do it. We, we And then we put organizations together. From that show, we've put different organizations together to help them uh, fulfill some sort of mandate that they might that they might have. We work with El Salvador. We've done – that. we put organizations together for a book drive and computer drive as well as a Luchi Lights, uh, which is a, a, a light that actually will illuminate – you know, a lot of the, of the home that we were going to put into El Salvador. We, we dealt with uh, computers that we were putting into uh, schools in Los Angeles. And we now have a book drive that we're doing. And all of this is sort of hand in hand with Peace Fund Radio. And, and how can people contribute if they want to be a part of that? Well, the Peace Fund has many outlets at the moment. We, we're just about to launch our new site, and we are – thepeacefund.org is the, is, the, is the website to it. But we, we really have organizations in – or people in different places that are fundraising, that are coming up with ideas of how to help. How we, can we put different organizations together? You know, we have a, a whole new section where we, uh, which I, I launched a while back, and we we lost our we lost our, our webmaster unfortunately, so we weren't able to uh, bring the, let the site run. But it was called Celebs for Kids, where I had celebrities from different walks of life do a peace sign, and people would download that for a donation, and that's about to be relaunched as well. So there's a couple of different ways that you can look, help, and uh, there'll be fun ways because I think you know there's a is that there are a lot of fun things that uh, make sense for people. We, we have a Peace Fun Poker event that we've run for two years in a row that did very, very well. We had a, a paintball event that we did. So we do things that are a little bit different. I mean, poker sounds normal. But we, we, we have a slightly different format on that. So I believe that people want to help, but they also want to have fun doing it as well because you know it's a much better way to actually do it while you, you're having fun as well and you're helping other people at the same time. What is your special poker format at the Peace Fund? Well, we incorporate online as well. We allow people to to help the players on the table uh, online, and uh, you can you can see it on uh, when you go to uh, peacefundpoker.org. Uh, you'll see the uh, the format. We're about to reannounce in another two or three weeks, probably around a month. We'll reannounce uh, the new format. The new site will go up, and uh, we had last year we had about. Well, I would say about 40 celebrities, 35 to 40 celebrities turn up at that event. We had 180 people turn up this year. It'll be a slightly smaller, higher uh, buy-in uh, with 
uh, higher uh, level celebrities, and uh, we're, we're trying to figure out which cause we're going to be focusing on this year. We've done, uh, we built two wells in Niger, West Africa, from the Peace Fund poker. We helped uh, a young kid, and we helped uh, uh, some kids in, in Haiti through a last one. So we, you know, each one has a focus because I think you really want to know what you're playing for, and so we really. You know, are looking to do that, and it, it should be launched in another, as I said, three or four weeks. That's amazing. Um, what drew what drew you to charity work? I, you know, I, I think it's really incredible that you know, for me, for all of us, I think you know, you played a hero on TV for so many years, but now you get to actually in you know real life be a hero to a lot of to a lot of people in need. What drew you to charity? Uh, you know, we I think we all have a walk in life. I always truly believe my walk in life was to I had something in the back of my head way back, way back, that I was going to be doing a lot of traveling, that I was going to help kids, and that I was going to meet a lot of pretty girls. And, uh, <laughs> I did two of those, and then I went on to the third, which was helping people. So I, <laughs> I was uh, you know, able to fulfill that through the Peace Fund because I saw the, the excitement kids had meeting a celebrity and in our day even back then you know there are so many challenges that kids have to face i mean even more so now that being able to have somebody that they admire spend time and and effort to think or, or listen to their the cause of their problems really does change a kid's life and can change a lot of things down the road that's what kind of drew me to, to do it because I, I, I believe that in this life, fame means absolutely nothing. Fame's great. It's fabulous. But it can even, it, it can fade in 20, 30 years. The kids of today don't even know who Duncan McLeod was or who the Beatles were or who the Who are. They don't know it because they live in a different world. But what we did 20 or 30 years ago to affect a community or affect a family or affect some kid's life has a very long-term effect. So your legacy are the things that you do, not not who you are, in a sense. So you mentioned uh, some of your goals. Um, one of them was to uh, meet beautiful women. Um, so you do have <laughs> a huge uh, female fan following. Um, I know my grandmother was a big fan. My mother as well. She yeah, used to... absolutely. <laughs> but was that a weird experience, or, or was it, you know... Did you feel like, oh, my, my goal was met? <laughs> it's never met. It's never, <laughs> it's never met. I mean, you know, let's, you know, uh, is it weird for for women to, to love you? Uh, no. It's great. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's a fabulous feeling. You know, everybody wants to be loved and admired. I don't think there's a man alive that, that doesn't say that. Yeah, so to be admired, or anybody alive, a woman admired, you know, to be admired is is, is, a, is a fantastic feeling. But, uh, you know, obviously sometimes it goes too far, and it might not be the people that you want to admire that you go overboard, but, you know, that's the price you pay. Well, Adrian, we want to thank you so much for joining us. Um, this was such a treat for all of us, and I'm sure our listeners, to hear some of these amazing stories. Um, is there anywhere, uh, where can people find you online to follow you and connect with you? Well, I'm on Twitter, Facebook, uh, and Instagram. Adrian Paul one is my Twitter, and then Adrian Paul is my Facebook and uh, 
Instagram, I think my Instagram's Adrian Paul. I can't remember one. Unless it's Adrian Paul fan page. I think it might be Adrian Paul. I can't remember one of the two. Awesome. And yeah, we want to remind all our listeners to definitely check out peacefund.org and definitely listen to the Peace Fund Radio Show. Uh, our podcast is available, you know, on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, you can also find the Peace Fund Radio Show. I listen to it for one every week. I've enjoyed a lot of the interviews. I love the Heroes of the Week is an amazing segment, and it's really great that you highlight uh, that segment of the population that's doing such great work and shows such promise for the future. Um, and, of course, go to swordexperience.com to sign up for the uh, many, many uh, experiences coming up in London, Stuttgart, Pensacola, um, and in New Hampshire, L.A., Denver, and some more stuff coming down the road, which is really great. And you never know. You could ride on a boat with Duncan McLeod. <laughs> <laughs> that is true, yeah. <laughs> Are there any final stories that you want to leave our listeners with? Was there one crazy experience that stands out to you when filming this show? When filming the show, um... Um, you know, I mean, there's so many little stories, and, and I eventually will bring out a book that will that will really delve into all the behind the scenes stuff of Highlander. Uh, you know, I mean, this. I mean, I think one of the funny stories. I mean, this is a fan story more than anything else. Was when I was in Paris. You know, as I said to you before, I was I was very recognisable in a lot of places, especially since I had long hair. And um, I was I'd walk down the street, and you know, people would kind of run past me as if I didn't see them running past me, and then stop and turn to see whether or not it was actually me walking down the road. And so these two guys did it, and then they walked on past me, and they walked way up. And I'm talking, I can't remember who I was with. I'm talking, I get to, and I've walked another 200 yards, and I get to the corner line, that's across the street. One of them's on his knees on the floor. The other one's up above, raised an, an imaginary sword in his hand, chopped off the guy's head, and does a quickening in the middle of the Charles Lee's <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> that's amazing. I was, uh, to say, rather, you know, taken aback. And uh, that was just one of them that I've done. So, you know, that was kind of a fun memory for me. <laughs> <laughs> I know what we're doing after we wrap here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, thank you again, Adrian. Uh, and also, oh, we, we should also plug the book. Uh, of course, when this comes out, make sure to go on. Uh, do you have a website, Adrian, for the, uh, the audiobook? Yeah, it'll be under store.swordexperience.com. All the stuff, there'll be other stuff on there as well, like the Sword Experience t-shirts, there'll be the audiobook, there'll be photos, there'll be stuff coming out on that. So um, that we're launching that in the next two days. Awesome. Well, thank you again. Uh, everyone, make sure to check out all the stuff that Adrian is up to these days. Uh, follow him on Twitter, Facebook, and uh, definitely buy the audiobook. I know we are going to definitely buy it. And uh, just to let you know, Adrian, uh, you mentioned having a legacy and having an impact on other people. Uh, you've definitely had an impact on us and I think all our listeners, and you've left a great legacy uh, to all of us with uh, Highlander and all the amazing charity work you do. You touch so many people, so we appreciate that. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me on, gentlemen, and uh, keep the flag up. Right. <laughs> thank <laughs> you so, so much. much. Thanks, Adrian. Right, take care. Thanks again to everybody for joining us out there uh, for our sit-down with the Highlander himself, Adrian Paul. Uh, if you're new to this show, make sure to head on over and subscribe on our Facebook page, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get podcasts. And join us next week for another installment of Highlander Rewatch. We've been your rewatchers, Keith, Kyle, and Eamon, and there can be only one. See you next week. Hello? Yep. Oh, oh sorry. sorry about that. <laughs> we, we lost you for one second. Yeah. No, I'm still here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>